The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at republicen.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and I am so excited to wrap up season six of the podcast. I cannot believe we are here. Just past our third birthday, over 120 podcast episodes in the bag. I'm also eagerly putting together the guest list for season seven, as well as brainstorming some changes to the podcast in general. If you have a recommendation for either programming or podcast formatting that you'd like to offer, hit us up, hit me up over email, chelsea at republicen.org. As is our tradition, this is your season six highlight reel, so to speak. We featured 19 guests this season, and only four of those, Alex Flint, Katrina Rourke, Ed Maybach and Mariana Mancuso were repeat guests. Mariana, in fact, was our very first guest of the very first season. And so it felt like time to bring her back on, especially because she's been on a roll, published in a number of publications over the last few months. She's an op-ed writing machine, frankly. And here's her advice for anyone on the fence about whether they should try their hand at op-ed writing. I say go for it. Uh, so here's a little secret, Chelsea. I don't know if you know this. We've been working together for years at this point. But every time I write an op-ed, I actually just assume that nobody will read it except for my mom. <laughs> like, I swear. I, like, every, and whenever I get emails back, whether it's from you or Bob or Price or other people, friends, family, colleagues, that they saw my piece and they read it or they loved it, I, I'm always so grateful for them. One, that they took the time out to read something that I wrote. Like, that is just so, wow. Like, thank you. You could have spent five minutes doing something else, but you chose to read my piece. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, but just go for it. It doesn't matter if one person reads it or 10 people or 100 people, as long as it's out there. Because the chances is that what you're sharing is going to be impactful in its own way. Related. Our friend Alex Flint from the Alliance for Market Solutions kicked off our season with a chat about how the climate conversation changed with GOP control over the House of Representatives. Here, he shares how the climate door has been opened in the Republican Party. Yeah, so well, I mean, my, my philosophy about this and part of the reason that I'm comfortable, even given the lack of adequate progress on climate, is I think over the long run, economics and science will prevail over politics on climate change. I mean, I, I, I think the economics is fairly straightforward. I think the science is fairly straightforward. To the extent politics is out of step with it, I think politics is going to be forced to change to be aligned with the economics and the science. Um, on the economics, I think increasingly entities, global trading partners are going to impose costs on the externality of emissions they, as a result, will impose carbon order adjustment related mechanisms. Those costs will start becoming real on trade. And frankly, the United States would be foolish not to engage in bilateral negotiations over border adjustment mechanisms that then drive the necessity of having our own domestic price on carbon. I mean, that to me is just the, the way that economics 
prevails over politics over the long hand. Like there's a con- there's an economic consequence of what is happening. It is going to become manifest, and the politics is just going to have to deal with it. It's just a question of time. Listeners, this is going to come as no surprise. We are quite fond of the Climate Leadership Council, due in part to our executive director's longtime friendship with his former congressional aide, Katrina Rourke. Katrina is a leading expert on the nexus between trade and climate policy, and here's why she finds that connection so politically compelling. Uh, If you care about climate, you can come to, to climate and trade policies authentically. This is a new leverage point in the global economy to affect global emissions reductions, to bring recalcitrant countries along to the extent that they want access to the U.S. market, um, which is the largest in the world, right? So if you if you care about climate, climate and trade is easy for you. If you care about bashing China, climate and trade is easy for you. The Chinese economy is 300% more carbon intensive than the United States in manufacturing major carbon intensive goods like chemicals or like steel. Um, the U.S. carbon advantage is incredible. China is not held accountable for those higher emissions to manufacture the very same goods that we do. So if you care about bashing China, you can use climate and trade tools to talk about cornering China, to talk about deleveraging China on the global stage. The last guest we had on the show is also from the Climate Leadership Council. Greg Bertelson is the CEO, and he is hitting the halls of Congress to advocate for the very policies that Katrina's research shows would both reduce carbon emissions globally and benefit the U.S. economy. Here, he gives his prognosis on the fate of a carbon border adjustment mechanism in Congress this season. In terms of the legislative prospects in this Congress, I mean, here's what I've been saying. You know, we're... Uh, hopefully this doesn't, uh, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll timestamp our conversation. It's, uh, you know, it's mid-June 2023. The presidential cycle is getting uh, up and running. Yep. We just had a big debt ceiling um, debate and passage. We know we've got um, appropriations bills coming. I would handicap any big legislation, any big policy in any arena in this Congress um, as as facing a hup, a uphill climb. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is certainly a big policy. Yeah. Um, and so there's an uphill climb. So I, I can't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't on this show predict that this is going to be the Congress that it that it um, that it passes. I will note, and this is something we've all experienced, that things often seem far off and then come together all at once. So I also won't predict that it won't happen. Yeah. Um, but my assessment of where we are in this, in this policy development is um, we're in a stage in which we're going to see a few different ideas come out. And I think that's great. Listeners, when I polled the RepublicEN.org team on what their favorite episodes were, I got varying responses. Angela Lark, our director of engagement, who, by the way, has been fantastic this season at suggesting um, guests that haven't been on the show before. Angela had two favorites, Chris Needle and Christina Gannon-Jones. Chris co-founded the Open Air Collective, and if you're wondering what that is, here he is to explain it. It's anybody who shows up, and, and what we started with Open Air, we, we don't even have a, a formal organizational status. We're, we're not a nonprofit. We really took our model from the open source world, which many people will know started with software, but 
has touched on many different areas of the economy over the last 20 years. And that's really capitalizing on the ability that the internet really gives us, uh, which is that people can connect uh, from all over the place around common interests and then contribute to do work in ways often that organizations or firms or other formal entities won't be as fast to do. So when open air started, we said, well, let's create basically an open source network where people who are really interested in carbon dioxide removal and wanted to get going, they wanted to start projects to actually make an impact, whether writing legislation and getting it introduced or making things. We have a lot of makers and citizen scientists and engineers working on projects. They could all join, find each other, and then start to really advance this and spread their work. And so now we're over a thousand members on, uh, you know, every continent where people live. And, um, we have groups that have formed what we call missions. Uh, we're up to about 25 of them all, all over the world, getting on Zooms, working and moving things forward. It's no wonder Angela loved that episode. His um, segment was actually top five in terms of listenership. Her other favorite, Christina Jones, came about due to her connections and networking. We were looking to have a hunter on the show and someone she met at an archery competition introduced her to a woman um, who introduced, introduced us to Christina. Very roundabout. But uh, what really struck us about Christina is that she personally provides all the protein her family eats. So here she is talking about how doing that sparked her passion for hunting. Um, and I found a couple um, people and a couple of resources, um, you know, on the internet at the time, this was about 12 years ago. And that just sort of unfolded. And, and, you know, I still to this day joke that for me, it was just an excuse to sit outside in the woods and read. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'd be out there all day, I'd finish like three books in one weekend. And um, it was great. But then once you start to kind of realize, you know, everything that I harvest, I put on my table. Um, And then I had friends who, hey, you know, do you have extra meat to spare? I'd love to try it. Or friends who times were a little tough. Do you have any extra meat you could share? Um, And when I started to see that too, that relationship of what you can provide other people and for yourself and for your family, um, it just became, I, I don't even know how to describe it, except that it was just a driving like force in my life. And then um, it's just unfolded. And here we are. I mean, I have to say she was also one of my favorite interviewees. And related, one of the other um, episodes that really stood out this season was Trout Unlimited's Connor Parrish. Hunters, anglers, they kind of go together. He is both, but as an avid angler who actually works in the profession as well, he talked to us about the impacts climate change is having on fish populations. And he convinced me that I need to learn to fish. Here he is. Um, as an angler, I, I grew up um, primarily fishing for, for trout and sometimes uh, salmon and steelhead. And I actually grew up in Washington. Um, so I grew up in Pacific Northwest before moving over to Montana. But um, those fish species that I primarily like to pursue and to catch either for fun or for food um, really need cold water. And so obviously, as the climate warms and um, the air, the average air temperature warms, that also starts to impact the the temperature of, the, of our streams. And when you're talking about uh, trout, salmon, steelhead, uh, those fish uh, evolved in really cold environments. And so they can't handle warm uh, temperatures. Actually, um, the oxygen level um, 
oxygen levels decrease, the warmer water gets. It's just like a natural thing. So warm water has a lower capacity to hold oxygen. And so that impacts them. So um, so that's a long way of saying that basically as it gets warmer, there's less days that you can fish in certain areas. And those fish species actually start to shift um, typically upstream to find colder water. It was a close tie for most downloaded episode this season, but the crown for season six goes to John Webster from the U.S. Biochar Initiative. What is biochar, I hear you ask, if you didn't listen to the episode already? John explains right here. Yeah, so biochar is really this kind of kind of a compelling material. So it is really very simple, and yet it's also quite complex. It's uh, carbon-based. It, it's it's a situation where what we're doing is we're capturing carbon that nature already draws down in biomass. So what we do is we expose it to high heats in the absence of oxygen. So effectively, uh, you can think of it at like uh, regenerative baking, right? Most of the industrial applications where we're making this, flame never touches the material. And when it comes out, it's like this highly refined form of charcoal. has all these nooks and crannies and pore structure. A uh, tablespoon of this is has a surface area larger than a football field. It's it's really fantastic. It does a great job on holding water and nutrient distribution. Uh, so what does that mean? It means it grows really big crops. It, it helps us mitigate drought concerns, any number of applications. But it can be made in many different ways. You can literally make it in a pit in your backyard. You can make it in a barbecue Coming in a very close second for most downloaded episode is our pal, Danny Richter, formerly of CCL and currently of the Pricing Carbon Initiative. In the following clip, he explains why what he believes the catalyst will be for the U.S. to finally price carbon. I'm not a betting person, uh, but I am <laughs> someone who is happy to put uh, probabilities uh, okay. on, on the future. And I will I will say the factors here that I think most affect the probabilities for me, you look around the world, the rest of the rest of the world is pricing carbon. And uh, when you look at the, at developed economies, there are only two developed economies around the world that don't have a price on carbon. That's the United States and Australia is the other one, but even they have a, it's a, it's a, I believe it's a, offset and and baseline is what they call it. So they have a carbon price based on the, it's really an offset price. Mm -hmm. So, and you have developing countries who are pricing carbon as well, uh, including China. Uh, And so uh, the big concern, which I think is really cranking the probability of action up is that the United States stands to be isolated Mm -hmm. and they're they're, there. The world could act uh, without America having a prominent voice and how often does that happen is so rare uh, in recent history. We've been such a leader. Um, I mean, my view is that if, if we don't act without a serious conversation, um, there is, we won't be a leader. There's a real risk that we get left out of, of conversations. Listeners, I think of all the wonderful guests we had this season, this is really hard for me to pick one top favorite It's a bit of a Sophie's Choice um, decision, but I think my favorite episode had to be my interview with Andrew Jones. I am just so in awe of people who identify a problem and then come up with a technological solution, which is what he's done with the En-ROADS tool. 
While this tool doesn't personally solve climate change, it's actually a global climate stimulator that allows users to explore the impact that dozens of policies might have on climate change. And I think this is a really important tool for us to have and for policymakers to have because we often, you know, lean in or favor one policy over another without really knowing the exact long-term impacts. With um, with Drew's En-ROAD simulator, you can see what options actually have the greatest impact. Spoiler alert, <laughs> pricing carbon does very well. Here he is. So what we did with that is we said, well, let's make it transparent. Yes. Let's open it up so when you go into En-ROADS and you don't believe the assumption about how rising CO2 in the atmosphere changes temperature, because there's an important number in there called the climate sensitivity. It's a really important number. If you don't believe that that's the proper assumption, change it and do what we call policy sensitivity. Does it, does it affect the action you would take coming out of this analysis? Oh, it doesn't. So it doesn't matter if that assumption is off. So we make it transparent, let people change it, just a very different approach to modeling that comes, frankly, out of the business world. Business people are used to having spreadsheets right. and changing things and using it just to support their thinking, not take over all of their decision making. Listeners, if you missed any of our 19 episodes this season or even any previous seasons, I encourage you to go back and listen. So many fantastic guests, so many subject matter experts, and I thank each and every one of them. Listeners, the EcoRight Speaks will be right back for the season's final wrap-up with our producer, Price Atkinson. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Price, we did it. Another excellent season, if I do say so myself, in the bag. I would concur with all that. Obviously, we are at the tape. We are at the wire crossing the finish line with the very last episode of season six, episode 20, our traditional best of. Well done. Well done, Star. Well, Giving you a I clap. Mean, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it without you. So just super excited. And of course, our guests and of course, our listeners. This is such a team effort. So that it is that it is led by you as well as the thousands of listeners that we have were, I have to go back and, you know, look at the numbers, but man, I, I know we've reached over easily over a hundred K. I think we probably over reached over 200 K at this point since we have been doing it in season six is, is now in the back. So excited for season seven yes. coming to you. At a sept or a summer Tuesday near you. That's right. Sometime in August, we'll be back in your ears, um, and we will, of course, be um, you know sharing the the release date for the premiere loud and clear and far and wide. So be uh, looking out for that, listeners. You know we're not going to let you down and not come back. We will be back. So. Definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, follow us on our social platforms at Republic EN. We will let you know. We will give you a, I don't want to say release date, launch date, when we will get back off the ground a little bit later this summer, most likely sometime toward the end of July. But we're going to take a little 
little time off to recharge the podcast battery and get you ready for later in the summer in the fall as we barrel toward the end of 2023. So excited to do it again with you for season seven, Chelsea, because I know you got some guests that you are working on. You already got some lined up and, you know, always taking suggestions on topics, folks, um, anything that you think people would be interested to hear, they need to let you know. They definitely need to let me know. And, um, you know, we're, but we've got some pretty good, um, exciting, um, people on tap to, to be on the show season seven. Mm -hmm. So really looking forward to that for sure. What I know is I've got some new members that have decided Mm -hmm. to stand with us, including Daniel H in Kansas, Stephen M in New York, Linda R in Tennessee, Richard B in Delaware and Lucy M in Michigan. And you can sign up to stand with us at republican.org forward slash join that takes seconds and we would love for you to do that over the uh, coming days weeks and month as we step away before we step back in with you in july so please sign up stand with us if you have not already done so as well as you want to go back and catch some of these episodes these fine podcast listening notes that Chelsea has brought you with many guests this season. You can go back and listen to any episodes from this year. Clearly, you can go back to season five, four, three, two, or numero one (laughs) if you want to listen to go back that far. Because a lot of these interviews, they do kind of have some evergreen content and they stand the test of time. So there is plenty for your listening pleasure to keep you busy if you're sitting on the beach riding a bike, uh, walking uh, in the evenings when it cools down. There's plenty to tie you over until we launch again new episodes. Wait a second. In the the evenings when it cools down, ha ha, we're about to be in July. That doesn't happen in the evenings, but you, they they know what you mean. (laughs) I know what I mean, whether it's early in the morning, whenever it is, because boy, you got to find that time to get outside and you know, summer's brutal, especially here in the the deep south. I know it's uh, you know, all in spots all around the United States, but boy, that humidity does not take a break with us. We get a break here, a break there, but got to get out and get those walks and runs in the morning or in in the evening. I like the mornings, but I'm more of a morning person too, and I've been doing these six a.m. boot camps three days a week. Mm. Today hurt Look because at it you. was pretty humid even at 6 a.m. and so we were all a little like ouch because we've had some nice cool mornings we've had a very pleasant spring so I know we're in for it this summer in the DMV um, but you know all you can do mm-hmm. is stay inside crank up your air conditioning and turn on our podcast there you go that's what, that's what you do that's what you do over the next couple of weeks and you know hope everybody has a wonderful blessed happy safe a festive 4th of July coming up. It's just around the corner. Uh, that's going to be here. And then we're going to be at Labor Day before you know it. And then we're in the final throws of 2023. But I don't want to put the cart before the horse just yet because we still <laughs> got a lot more to come here uh, with Republican.org and our podcast that you listen to. We are appreciative of all our listeners for investing in the Eco Right Speaks every single Tuesday. And I know we're excited to do it again here in a couple of weeks, Chels. Well done right. this season and great job. Thank you, all our guests. Thank you, all our listeners. And uh, we'll be back. We'll see you sometime later this summer. Happy listening. Talk to you all very, very soon. 
Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.